Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Right now, the big news story, and I'm talking on like multiple websites right now, is that um, Kevin McCarthy is going to not run again for his congressional seat or step down at the end of the year, whatever it is that, uh, you know, that the speculation is. And if he steps down, then the governor of California could choose to appoint somebody in his seat or not appoint somebody, is my understanding. So, you know, literally, it'll change the dynamic of a very slim majority in Congress. And this is one of the reasons that I never liked Kevin McCarthy, because Kevin McCarthy has always been and will always be about Kevin McCarthy. Now, mind you, I don't think that um, most people could take the humiliation that he suffered when they knocked him out of the speaker's chair. I think that's pretty humbling. But if you're a good person and if you really are trying to help the American people by serving in the House, then you just sort of bite the bullet and you you stick it out. Or at least that's my idea of what a principled person would do. But I never thought of him as a principled person. So he's telling donors that he wants to get the hell out. That was the words that were quoted in multiple articles by a, quote, source familiar with the conversation. He said, I have another week or so to decide because if I decide to run again, I have to know in my heart I'm giving 110% because they have a filing deadline in California, which I believe is this week or, or it's next week. It's quick. It's soon. I have to know that I want to do that. I also have to know that if I'm going to walk away, that I'm going to be fine with walking away. And so I'm really taking this time now. To what? To get everybody all upset and probably make you a lot of promises. The new speaker is going to have to probably promise him some substantial power positions, chairmanships. And of course, again, I'm reading in multiple publications that uh, Governor Gavin Newsom, a Democrat, could hold that seat open if he decides to resign in the new year instead of having a special election. And you have this vote taking place tomorrow where they're considering exp- uh, expulsing, whatever, what's the right term? They're considering getting rid of George Santos, you know, the expulsion of Representative George Santos from New York. They're going to vote tomorrow. So then they have an even slimmer majority. And if Kevin McCarthy steps down, I mean, it's barely, it's barely, 
a, a, a majority that they can do anything with. The former speaker refers to those who voted to strip him from his gavel as the crazy eight. You know, one of them, Tim Burchette, is the guy who accused him of elbowing him in the hallway, which, of course, Kevin McCarthy said, I didn't do that. I think he did. Some rank-and-file members voiced frustrations with McCarthy attempting to kneecap multiple candidates that aimed to succeed him as a speaker. The first one I can think of is Jim Jordan. But Jim Jordan doesn't really seem like much of a vengeful guy, and I don't think he wanted that job. Anyway, why would he stay if it's all about the power? He'll probably, um, you know... He'll probably go back to the people that he really cares about, which would be K Street, the lobbyists, or Wall Street, the big money guys. It's not like he's going to go back to Bakersfield. Matt Gates said, I don't imagine he'll be walking the streets of Bakersfield. So we'll see. You know, it's a Republican stronghold, that seat. So I'm, not, I'm pretty confident that another Republican will win an election, which is why Gavin Newsom would probably just not let there be an election, just hold the seat open, which, of course, um, will make Kevin McCarthy look terrible. But I think at this point, he doesn't care. So now everybody wants to boot George Santos. In an email sent to Democratic congressional offices on Thursday, Representative Robert Garcia from California, Democrat, advocated for Republicans' resolution to expel the embattled Long Island congressman. Well, you know, I don't understand how this guy ever got elected personally. And I certainly don't understand why the Republicans would back him. But hey, I don't understand Washington much these days. Of course, big stories today, a number of stories. One story that's extremely disturbing is that the return of some hostages to Israel includes... I think eight people and three bodies, meaning three dead hostages. Now, I'm just curious. What should the Israeli government's response be to dead hostages? The release of Palestinian criminals? That doesn't seem appropriate to me. How about you? And then you think about this, that, that, well, I don't know. Like I said, I don't understand how Washington works anymore. It doesn't work. That's the problem. Then you had Rand Paul, the ophthalmologist, at, uh, at lunch just the other day, having to um, use the Heimlich maneuver on, on uh, Joni Ernst, <laughs> on another senator. She apparently began to choke on some food and he used the Heimlich maneuver at a Senate lunch. It's nice to have a doctor around, I guess. Ernst confirmed the news on X, posting from her official government account, can't help but choke on the woke policies Dems are forcing down our throats. Thanks, Dr. Rand Paul. That's actually kind of clever and funny. But you gotta say, you know, God bless Rand Paul, said Senator Lindsey Graham. I never thought I'd say that. Why not? Senator Grassley said that the food at the Senate lunch was provided by Ernst and the Iowa Cattlemen's Association. 
So her own constituents showed up with some chops and she ends up in a, in a choking fit. And that's like, you know, the kind of news that makes you gasp. It really does. So I don't know what anybody thinks Israel's response should be to dead bodies being returned. If that equals, should, uh, should they maybe, um, maybe kill some of the Palestinian criminals and return three bodies to them? I'm just asking. You know, I, I hate to sound so vicious, but boy, you know, that's, that's really, it's really horrifying to me. I think what's even more hor horrifying is the pro Palestinian protesters that literally derailed the lighting of the Christmas tree in Midtown Manhattan and continue to wreak havoc in my hometown. I mean, what is going on here? Hundreds of pro-Palestinian protesters swarming the streets surrounding Rockefeller Center yesterday, chanting river to the sea. They love this. You know, this river to the sea resurrection is really disgusting, but they're really loving it. So they tried to derail the annual tree lighting, waving Palestinian flags and signs, calling for the end to genocide. What, what about the end to the genocide that was done to the Israeli civilians? You see, I don't think the IDF is trying to exterminate Palestinian people or whatever you call them. But I do think uh, they're trying to eliminate Hamas and that actually will help the Palestinian people because Hamas is just wreaking havoc on its own people. So they couldn't get to the Christmas tree because the New York Police Department actually stepped up and uh, kept them away. And, uh, you know, they, they just stood afar. One of the guys was seen climbing on top of the pillar, bearing the uh, building's address. And another was seen carrying a massive sign, bearing a swastika, and comparing the Israeli Defense Forces to Nazis. And then, of course, you see the uh, NYPD pushing back the crowds who push against the cops and call them effing Nazis trying to knock down the barricades and trying to, to just create chaos. Oh, thank God the NYPD ordered a very high security presence before uh, the tree lighting ceremony at Rockefeller because the elevated vigilance they needed, right? Pro-Palestinian organizers have said they're going to disrupt festivities for the next four weeks, okay? I just... I just don't understand. Can you imagine? Yeah, we have people who are still in jail because they got a guided tour from the looks of the tapes that are now being released about January 6th. They're still in jail, but Palestinians or Palestinian supporters are wrecking New York City and other places. Complete chaos. If you look at the, 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 what was going on there, it's, it's really disgusting. Just disgusting. Swastikas and all this uh, anti-Semitic chanting. Very, very, very disturbing. Free Palestine. Yeah, well, listen, they tried that. They freed Palestine 17 years ago. And look at the, look at the results, what Hamas did to its own people. Okay, because, see, the, the 
the Israelis were moved out of the, of Gaza, but they couldn't govern themselves. All they did was, uh, you know, create bomb factories and tunnels. But somehow that's that's the fault of of the Jews in Israel. <laughs> Hundred and eighty six terrorists haven't been re- I mean, hostages haven't been released by the terrorists. Don't lose sight of that. Don't forget to download our app, 850WFTL.com. And that way you can participate in contests and you can also see um, what the breaking news is, storm alerts, all that good stuff. And if you don't want to download an app, some people are adverse to more apps, then just go to our website, 850WFTL.com. Let me take a quick break. I'll be right back. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Okay, so, you know, I love when people say to me, you've got to eat a lot of salads and vegetables and stay away from heavy foods and, and, and then you'll live to a ripe old age. And of course, I'm living to a ripe old age and I don't do that. But I felt really good yesterday when I heard Henry Kissinger's son, of course, Henry Kissinger died at 100 years old at his home in Connecticut yesterday. And his son said, that his diet consisted of bratwurst and Wiener schnitzel, which is a lot of meat, <laughs> sausage and meat. And he said, my father's longevity is especially miraculous when one considers the health regimen he has followed throughout his adult life, which included bratwurst and Wiener schnitzel, very stressful jobs. But he was a uh, you know, he was certainly someone that impacted global geopolitics probably more than anybody else. And uh, people in the Chinese government credit him with the friendship that exists, or maybe not so much anymore, but existed for decades between the Chinese and the American governments. And so it's just a, it's a fascinating life when you think about it. I read a book about Kissinger years ago. He was born in uh, 1923, obviously, and he was born in Germany. And he had quite an interesting life. He, he fled the Nazis and became an American citizen in like uh, 40s, served in the army, and then got a whole bunch of degrees, including a doctorate from Harvard. And he taught international relations at Harvard for like a long time before he got into politics. And then he became the secretary of state um, and he was the first person to hold that position as well as serve as national security advisor. And he, of course, was very, very instrumental in negotiating uh, the detente with China and ending the Yom Kippur War. And he had a hand in the Vietnam War. A lot of controversy, though. Of course, uh, uh, people were always calling him a war criminal. There were lots of protested during his press tour in 2022. Imagine he's doing a press tour last year. He went 99 years old. And uh, there were all these protesters. He's a war criminal. Put him in jail. 
anybody that was affiliated with Richard Nixon uh, never gets an easy break from the media, that's for sure. But I, I just, you know, I'm, I, I thought to myself, Henry Kissinger passes at 100. Jimmy Carter is still hanging in there. And if you saw him at Rosalind Carter's funeral, it's like by a thread. That man is a, literally just a shadow of a man. And as I always believe, once the spouse is gone, whatever little will was left will probably disappear. But the big news, and uh, and I can't, I don't know how I feel about this news because, of course, I see the hand, the handprints or the fingerprints of the government all over this. But all of a sudden, I mentioned it yesterday, there's this mysterious pneumonia-like disease that is all over China where they say that the hospitals are overwhelmed with sick children and apparently now this mystery virus, which is a pneumonia, um, has spread into Europe. Have we heard? Have we read this story before? Have we heard this before? This is stunningly similar to how the COVID outbreak started. Right, first you get this outbreak in China, then it starts to. Uh, move into major European cities. Remember when COVID moved into Italy and everybody was panic-stricken? Now, of course, they're already predicting London, Paris, Frankfurt, and Amsterdam will be the first European points of entry for the illness because they're very uh, dense populated places and they're transit hubs. You know, planes fly in and out of those major cities going wherever. So the likelihood of the outbreak reaching Europe is all contingent upon how much travel takes place in cities like London, et cetera. So here's my question. How quickly before they shut down any travel from Asia? Just asking. And once there's an outbreak in Europe, how quickly till they shut down travel from Europe? I have lived through this before. And I know where they go. And I'm not going there. I can tell you right now. I don't care what the World Health Organization says. I don't care what the, uh, the I don't even care what the federal government says. But I am not going back to social distancing. I'm not going back to wearing a face mask. I, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And I don't care what kind of, instantaneous uh, virus fighter they come up with, if it's mRNA, it is not going into my body because I have never been the same. Most people I know have never been the same after taking those so-called vaccines. So that ain't happening. Not, not, a, not at my age. I know everybody says, oh, well, if you're old, you have to make sure you're vaccinated so you don't die. Look, eventually we're all gonna die, right? And I'm not gonna die of some childhood pneumonia. I'm an old lady. So we'll, we'll see. But uh, the WHO can say whatever they want, the WHO, um, and all my, my response to them will be, who cares? Not me. 
I'm going to take a break early because I have a guest coming on. Fane Lozman is coming on now. Of course, he's the corruption fighter, the free speech advocate, and uh, has some interesting ideas when it comes to those subjects. And I think it's a good time uh, to talk about this. Again, they hit the president, Donald Trump, with a gag order. The appellate court reinstated that gag order. And to me, this is a pivotal moment in history. Like, do we stand up for freedom of speech or not? Because if we're not going to, then, you know, then then just put your mask on, get back in your house and social distance because it's about to go down. All right. I'm glad, as my husband said, I'm glad I'm prepared because if it goes down, I'm going to be self-contained. Anyway, stay right where you are. I'll be back with Fane Lozman. The, the, uh, the man who fights City Hall all the way to the Supreme Court, corruption fighter, two-time U.S. Supreme Court winner, and of course, uh, my friend, Fane Lozman, is on today. He of the floating home. How you doing, Fane? Good uh, afternoon, Joyce. How you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? Oh, I spent six hours yesterday at the U.S. Attorney's Office being uh, cross, having my deposition taken by them uh, as far as why do I have a floating home on my private property without a permit? And oh. I said, you got, you know, thousands of boats, floating homes, all kinds of stuff uh, around uh, Palm Beach County, South Florida, and none of those have a permit. Why, why are you coming after me? Well, we know the answer and to it, that. It comes down to re- it comes down to retaliation, right? You know, there I they produced emails where Julia Botel and Lisa Interlandi and a bunch of other people hooked up with uh, uh, an inspector at uh, uh, yeah. We used to work for the Florida Department of Environmental Protection. Mm-hmm. Now he works for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. They came up with this plan to preclude any development. Uh, to target me. And uh, I told a couple people, President Bush had made a comment uh, years ago that he wanted to build floating homes if he didn't win the 2016 election, and that didn't go over good with all these left-wing Democrats. And um, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today today is my second Supreme Court case was a First Amendment case. And what's happening with President Trump is – they are retaliating against him based on a free speech by putting him under a gag order. That's his punishment. Like, we're going to punish you because we have the power to do it, these, uh, the district and state court judge have said. We're going to punish you by putting a gag order on you. And what they don't understand is the First Amendment was adopted to protect speech that is critical. Of course. If President Trump said, hey, judge, you're the greatest judge in the whole country nothing would happen. But because he criticizes her, she's throwing the First Amendment out the window, and she can't do that. I think when this makes its way up to the U.S. Supreme Court one day, they will put these, uh, that, that federal appellate panel and the state appellate panel you know, in the corner and say, you don't do that. You, you cannot throw the First Amendment out the window just because President Trump is criticizing your performance. Yeah. Well, but, you know, the, all, all the rules are different when it comes to President Trump, and we get that. Um, and the, you know, what bothers me, what, bo- you know, I, I don't understand is why doesn't he fight these things the way you fought them? Well, that's a good point. I, I don't understand. You know, I, I sent an email to uh, his federal attorneys. I said, hey, 
I go, this is retaliation. It's retaliation. The gag order is the retaliatory tool that the district judge, the federal district judge is punishing President Trump with. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's the angle you have to go attack it. You can't do that and use, you know, my Supreme Court case to point that out. Right. You know, in my case, they didn't like what I had to hear. They had me arrested. In President Trump's case, they don't like what they have to hear. They put a gag order on it. Right. You and know, they had him arrested. Down. You don't have to be a public. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And they had him arrested for uh, ostensibly inciting a riot. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you don't have, no one is forcing a judge to be a public official. Mm-hmm. You know, they put their name in the pot. You know, they put their name on the ballot, you know, on the state level. Uh, they lobbied on the federal level. Once you take that public position, you have to have thick skin. The people are going to criticize your rulings. They're going to criticize your politics. They're going to criticize that you, fav- you know, you have favoritism to, you know, some friends, uh, friends of yours when they come before you. You know, people are allowed to criticize. That's the difference between us and China. If you criticize anybody in China, they're going to chop your head off. Right. So I, I, I think that's what his attorney should point out is this is retaliation. That's the number one thing, retaliation for free speech, and that's not allowed under the Constitution. And they never really made that clear. They wanted to, to talk about all the kinds of stuff, but the retaliation should be first and foremost in my mind. Yeah, well, I agree. And as I said before, it's not like he is limited in funds so that he can't take this to the highest court of the land, I think it will end up in front of the Supreme Court. But he needs to be moving and explaining this to the American people, although it doesn't seem to be hurting him, Fain, as it still looks like he's going to be the 47th president, um, regardless of what they well, do. I'll be happy to go to one of his campaign functions, and he can use me as, a, as somebody that has been down the road before he has, Mm-hmm. You know, when it comes to retaliation and, yeah. and you know, when I pointed out that the Democratic uh, district judge, Dimitriolis in Fort Lauderdale, uh, uh, had been uh, when he was a state prosecutor. He had set a bunch of people to state prison and one of them, he got a witness to lie. And when the guy died in prison, the DNA exonerated him. And, you know, he went on to be a federal judge. And when that was pointed out that this guy does, does things that he shouldn't be doing. He refused to let me bail out, you know, I know it sounds weird, but like to put a bond up to get my floating home back. He wanted Riviera Beach to destroy, which they did. Right, right. What you do know, you, so that yeah. was his way of punishing me. And then I thought that the Supreme Court, that was the first case I won. But there, there are, just like anything else, you got some fantastic federal judges and state judges, and you have some real dirtbags. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, I mean, obviously, I think you should have been given tons of money after winning the case against Riviera Beach. You were awarded money. And then you had a judge, that federal judge, who said, no, I don't owe you a penny. Like, where are you with the $49 million you're supposed to get? That case is up on appeal. Right. Uh, you know, that case is up on appeal at the Court of Appeals. It will be decided a year from now. Interestingly, you know, that judge liked me when it came to the First Amendment because when my case came back down from the U.S. Supreme Court, it went to him. And that case settled because I was just trying to uphold the First Amendment. So I got a dollar plus my 875000 in legal fees. So I spent 12 years fighting for the First Amendment to get a dollar. Mm. But, you know, coincidentally, that's the same judge that fined Trump a million bucks, uh, you know, earlier in the year. Wow. Do you remember that case? Yeah, I do. Crazy. Well, 
You you've been I mean, fighting President Trump. To, President Trump. You know, President Trump should violate the gag order. Let him go get arrested and see how the, this will throw this country in turmoil. That one judge is going to put in the president of the United States in prison because he's trying to uphold the First Amendment. He wants to be a martyr for the First Amendment. Let him lock mm-hmm. him up for a couple of days or for a day. Mm-hmm. See how well that goes over. The whole country will be outraged. We are a country of personal liberties. And the number one personal liberty starts with the word first, the First mm-hmm. Amendment. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Well, listen, I'm you know me. I'm hoping first and foremost that you win that appeal because there are plenty of other people who will be affected by those decisions, much like the first two decisions you got in the Supreme Court. Um, But you're fighting City Hall, as you always do. And it takes a long time and a lot of patience. And actually, it takes quite a lot of smarts because I don't think most people, you know, look at these things the way you do. Well, I'm going to tell you one quick thing before we wrap this up, and that is that I have Justice Scalia's former clerk Mm. is one of my attorneys who wrote the brief at the 11th Circuit, and if it goes to the Supreme Court, would argue it there. And and it was Justice Scalia who did Lucas versus South Carolina, which was the the taking case, taking away your development rights for property and not getting paid for them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's he's a titan of the Supreme Court's, you know, of, of the last century. And I, I don't think that's going to go over well that you have judges around the country ignoring Justice Scalia's opinion in um, in Lucas versus South Carolina. So we're, we're looking forward to that. I don't know if we'll, we'll get the relief we want in the Court of Appeals in Atlanta, but I think we have an excellent shot to get a relief in the Supreme Court for the third time. I can't wait. Can I go this time again? I went the first time. Yeah, sure. You'd be yeah. happy to, to go. We'll have President Trump show up, too. There you go. They always keep a seat for the president that's empty. That's but right. Maybe we can get him to show up this time. Amen. Yeah. All right, Fane. Well, have a happy holiday. I don't, you know, I don't know if I'll talk to you before Christmas, but have a Merry Christmas wherever your floating home ends up. <laughs> All right, Joyce. Thank you so much. Take All care. Right. Take care. All right, and listen, let me uh, let me wrap this for now. I'm going to take a quick break and then come back. I do have the rest of the show to do. And remember that after me is Eric Erickson, after Eric is Joe Paggs, and after Paggs is Lars Larson, and the Red Eye Radio crew comes along. And tomorrow at 6 a.m., Jen and Bill will be back with the, the final Friday show of the South Florida Morning Show this week, followed by Brian Kilmeade at 9, Dan Bongino at noon, and then I'll be back at 3 o'clock. I have one segment left today, so please stay right where you are. I'll be right back. So, uh, you, you know, the royal family, no matter what, continues to keep American people sort of engaged because we don't have a royal family. We do have some celebrities, but... The royal family got all caught up, and right now Buckingham Palace is considering a legal action against Pierce Morgan because apparently he named on the television show that he does in Great Britain, he he called out the two racists, the two members of the royal family that apparently had some racist comments about the Duchess of Sussex, Meghan Markle, whatever her name is. Um, And he told people that 
he did not believe any racist comments were ever made by any members of the royal family. And then he said, but I'm going to name two people, which makes zero sense to me. And he, he, um, he did that. Now, I, I don't know. First and foremost, why are we engaged in this kind of, why do we seem to love kings and queens and all of this royalty, really? Because I, I watch, what are the top television shows, right? I, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I do look at the lists, particularly at the end of the year when I'm compiling my lists of what was the most popular this and which won the most awards and all that other stuff. And all of these shows, like The Crown, you know, are about royalty. Even the ones that seem to be kind of apocalyptic looking back, it's always about, you know, the, the 300 or the Spartans versus, you know, some warriors. I don't know. It's just amazing to me how we are so fascinated by that. And yet we live here. And the whole point of moving here was so we could have these freedoms, like freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom uh, to assemble, freedom to address your grievances to the government. And now, little by slowly, we're just giving all those freedoms away. I don't, I don't get it. I'm reading a new book. You know, I just finished three parts of this uh, fiction that I was reading, The Neapolitan Quartet, which I enjoyed very, very much. Um, it was a real escape, although I don't like the way the third one ended, so I'm putting off reading the fourth one. Um, but so the book that I'm reading right now, is, and I'm reading it because I interviewed Naomi Wolf a couple of just a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and she's got a new book out, and it's called Facing the Beast. And so I said, well, let me read this book because, you know, I find it fascinating that Dr. Naomi Wolf, who was like legendary m most of my life, if you asked me who were the most important feminists who also became important political people from one in one way or another Dr. Naomi Wolf would have been very high on the list you know top three for sure and very well liked by everybody I mean so she wrote this book about how it's really just a um, a diary of what the last three years have been like for her I mean she went from being a darling of the left very well. I mean, she wrote eight books. And I, I think about, when I think about her books, I can tell you that most of them impacted not just my thinking, but the thinking of an entire generation of women like me, who weren't necessarily, um, you know, maniacal feminists. We were, you know, the kind of feminists who just wanted equality, not anything more than that. And she wrote a book called The Beauty Myth, which, and the, it just challenged everything that most of us had ever thought about women and their bodies and their image and stuff. She wrote um, The Bodies of Others, I read, which was all about the COVID-19 and the uh, promiscuities, which was about when women decided that they should be equal to men when it came to sexual behaviors and she even called her biography Vagina. I mean, she's bold, out there, very leftist. And now she is, you look at her biography or you look at Wikipedia or anything, and the first thing it says 
is that uh, that she is a right wing conspiracy theorist, out of her mind, um, blah blah blah. And how does that happen? How do you go from being a a landmark international best selling writer of the left to persona non gratis? I mean, she talks in this book about how it wasn't just that people were no longer willing to publish her. It was that she, her friends stopped being her friends. Her best friend left the country and didn't say goodbye. I mean, this kind of stuff, I talk about it because it's true in my life as well. I have one of my closest, closest friends just divorced himself from me because of my positions on Trump, on COVID, he just, his leftist mind just couldn't handle any alternative dialogue. And so she chronicles this in her own life and it's fascinating. I'm, I'm enjoying the book. Uh, and, and I, you have to, you have to laugh when you think about how close-minded people on the left have become. Liberal used to mean open to all ideas, willing to debate any idea. And now it means either you think what we think or you're going to get deplatformed, you're going to get eliminated, you're off the guest list. I mean, how, how did that happen? Why did it happen? And can it turn around? The interesting part of the book, and I haven't gotten to it yet, is she thinks that there is a way out. She's just not sure that people are going to take it which is fascinating to me. And I think about how, you know, she went on Tucker Carlson and that was like the end. People just would stop talking to her. Steve uh, uh, Bannon, the war room, she went on that. Oh, you know, she's now a conspiracy knucklehead, which is, I don't know. How do you go from eight international New York Times bestsellers on the left to nobody wants to talk to you anymore? I just... I just, it's amazing to me. These are some perilous times. I'm so grateful that I've always been on the outside looking in because for people like her who were on the inside to then be forced to go on the outside and just look in must be mind boggling. For me, it's like comfortable. <laughs> it's where I've always been, you know. Um, and I too, I went from being a feminist to being described as a right-wing conspiracist. Imagine that. I just didn't mind. I don't think she minds either. She seems to be making the most of it. And it has taught her some powerful lessons. I've learned these lessons. Most people like David Mamet, those of us who were on the left and, and, and have been on the right, we understand that all of the lies about liberalism are just that. There's nothing liberal about the liberals in this country. There's nothing embracing or a big tent about the Democrats in this country. All of that has been turned upside down. And so you just better be an independent thinker. Think for yourself. There is no side to uh, intelligence, and you need to know that. And if they call you confused or a conspiracy theorist or whatever, remind them that that's what they said about Noah, and then it rained. So I thank you for your time this time until next time. And my plan is to be back here tomorrow at three o'clock to end this week of broadcasting, if it be his will and he delays his coming. What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are not really important. It's what lies within us that's important. So just be yourself because everybody else 
is taken. So I thank you for your time. And God bless you. God bless Israel. And God bless the United States of America. See you tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.